Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. I have a strange personal story to share with you from my family lineage. And if you have listened to this podcast for a while, you've heard me talk about some of the bizarre, dramatic things that have occurred in my family because both sides of my family, mom and dad's sides, have been in the mountains of western North Carolina for hundreds of years, going all the way back to the 1700s and 1800s. In fact, on my mom's side, my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was a captain in the French and Indian War, which occurred from 1754 to 1763. And he was given a land grant for his service and that land grant was in western north carolina and so that just gives you a bit of insight on why my family is where they are in fact you'd be surprised at how much history north carolina and virginia have i mean the very first time the english tried to settle in the new world they went to the coast of north carolina what we now call north carolina and uh, they settled on an island there called roanoke and they all vanished which is why we now call it the lost colony one of history's greatest mysteries and then of course later the english tried again at uh, jamestown which is now part of virginia and they succeeded there against all odds. But also you might be surprised to know that even though the Spanish first settled around St. Augustine, Florida, their first serious attempt at an inland uh, settlement was also in North Carolina and around the area that we now call Morganton, North Carolina. And uh, they succeeded for, mm, I think it was like less than two years before the natives killed all of them. So I tell you this just so that you understand that my family on both sides goes back about as far as uh, European heritage goes here in North America, or at least in, in what we now call the United States. And there also, of course, were some uh, Native Americans mixed in there from time to time as well. But all that said, my mom was one of 10 children. And my dad was one of seven kids. So you can imagine uh, the stories because I have had a lot of relatives growing up in this weird part of the world experiencing dramatic things. I have a lot of cousins out there. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where you get alerts from Ancestry.com like, I'm your third or fourth cousin. It's kind of common to me. So, you know, I, I have become accustomed to these unusual stories about things that have happened to family members growing up, but that includes my mom and dad, personally. And so, growing up, one of the things that my dad would occasionally mention was a disturbing uh, experience that he had when he was, I guess, around 14 or 15 years old. My dad's name is Daniel Warren. Everybody calls him Danny. Danny Warren. He was born in 1952, and he had told me, uh, again, occasionally over the years, that when he was 14 or 15, he was really into building model cars, and after school, he and 
his buddies would get together on this small hill and they would race their model cars now the hill you know was an embankment that ended with a with a road it was actually called bear creek road it's still there today and uh they would get together and they would see who had the the fastest most efficient car and so my dad always told me that one day he was on this hill racing model cars with his friends and it just so happened that this actual car on the street below sped up there and screeched to a halt and the driver was a man who had his wife in the passenger seat and the guy opened the door and shot his wife and then killed himself right in front of my dad so my dad said I witnessed a murder-suicide and this was obviously uh, very disturbing for him he had nightmares like you know any normal person would have from seeing this at a young age so a few nights ago I was on the telephone with my mom and dad And we were just talking about, you know, weird, dramatic things that we have experienced in our lives. And I brought this up. I said, you know, tell me again, Dad, the details about what happened to you. And and he, you know, obviously that was a long time ago. Um, And so he, you know, he's a little fuzzy on the details. And, you know, my dad's had numerous health problems, heart attacks and a stroke and all that. But he can still beat most people in jeopardy. I'm telling you, he's got a very good, sharp mind. And we thank God for that. And so he gave me all the details that he could give me about this. He remembered the police coming and talking to him. And I said, you know what? I want to take this information and give it to my good friend, Vance Sherlock Pollack. Now, you've heard me talk about Vance over the years. Vance Pollack, who lives in Asheville, is just almost eerily gifted with this ability to conduct incredible research. And I, I consider him a forensic historian. And he, he, he just, he not only knows how to access records and files and loves digging into all this but he also has this incredible synchronicity that sort of helps him along the way when he looks into things so I got the details from my just my dad's memory of hearing this story my whole life and you know I'm in my 40s now and I passed those details along to Vance and Vance is a very busy guy and so if you pass a story or a case along to him you never know if he's going to take interest in it or not. I mean, you just he's a total independent free spirit, and you just hope that maybe he'll find it interesting. Well, sure enough, Vance, he found this interesting. And so within hours, I got this incredible email back from Vance that had newspaper articles and death certificate, like all this stuff attached to it. Vance is such a miraculous researcher i mean it's it's it, it, it almost gives you goosebumps when you see the stuff that he is able to just dig up and he knows exactly you know how to dive in and how to get it and so he sent me this email and here are the details um the guy that my dad witnessed shoot his wife and then shoot himself was named paul shepherd at that time paul shepherd was 33 years old and he shot his wife 
Patsy Ann, who was 27 at that time, shot her to death on the street there at Bear Creek Road. This happened in 1966 with a 22 caliber rifle, which is interesting because I always envisioned this being a handgun since it was in a car, but no, this guy was driving around with a rifle says uh anyway shot her with a 22 uh and then shot himself in the chest but here is the really unexpected twist he recovered and did some time for this the first eight or nine years in a psychiatric hospital and he died in weaverville north carolina in 2008 Vance says uh, this was an interesting one because the name was spelled in two or three different ways. I guess he's talking about Shepard. But then Vance goes on to say, the first news I found about Paul was from 1953 when he was charged with shooting a man outside a bar along the Swannanoa River Road. And then some armed robbery and assault charges And then his dad shot him with a shotgun in 1958. Vance says, do you believe folks are predisposed toward violence? Is it in their DNA or at least their upbringing? Well, boy, that's a good question, isn't it? So anyway, he has all this material that he's attached. And what's also fascinating to me is that when this guy, Paul Shepard, who my dad saw kill his wife and then shoot himself in 1966. Uh, When that happened, um, you know, again, the guy lived, but this guy, Paul Shepard, he died at a nursing home in Weaverville in 2008, 11 years ago. And that is the same nursing home, my mom told me, where my dad's father died and where my grandmother, who was almost 100 years old, currently lives. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy, you know, all these little connections, how they come together. So I tell you this because, for one thing, this is on my mind, you know, because this is a really interesting thing for me to hear my dad tell this, basically, anecdote, and, and then to see the, 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 the proof of it, but furthermore it shows two things it shows one um the incredible ability that we have now using technology to go back and access the actual records of things that happened in the past and and to clarify them and it also shows the absolute majesty of Vance Pollock's skills and abilities to quickly be able to access information and so Uh, Let me just tell you, I I have worked with Vance for many, many years. I always include him in any serious project. The the guy deserves to be on television or in some kind of serious researcher role. I mean, when I call him Vance Sherlock Pollock, that is no exaggeration. And so I... I find it intriguing that, you know, again, as, as I was saying, Vance, he investigates things that are of interest to him uh he has maintained that level of independence and he does this 
freely most of the time just because this is what he's into. He is not at all averse to being hired to do some investigation work. But let me just tell you something. If you have some kind of an odd story in your family that you would like to be explored, Vance Pollock is the man. He's the Mac Daddy. He was the first person that I chose to host Speaking of Strange when I could no longer host the show. I just didn't have the time. And so if you have some kind of an odd ball story in your family you know some kind of an anecdote or whatever just like i did and you're interested in seeing if vance can get to the bottom of the facts email me your your story and i'll just forward it i probably won't even reply to you okay you know me i have a lot of emails coming in but just email me your story and i'll turn around and i'll forward that to vance and if he takes an interest in it, so be it. Or, you know, you throw a little dough his way, that doesn't hurt either because this stuff takes effort and time. But uh, I, I, it's just amazing to me to be at the point in my life where I can take some incident like this and then take it to Vance and he turns around and gives me this kind of uh, detailed information. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's a wonderful thing. But it also shows you how that we now can go back and review history in a different way. It's one thing to hear what amounts to oral tradition or, again, anecdotes or whatever. It's another thing to have the actual newspaper articles and the documentation and all the stuff that goes right back to to the scene of the crime, so to speak. And And... Of course, this time, uh, in this day and age, everybody's really interested in true crime type stories anyway. So, yeah, if you email me, just go to joshuapwarren.com. There's no period after the P. If you go to joshuapwarren.com, you scroll down, you'll find my email address there. And you can send me an email intended to be sent to Vance, and I will forward it to Vance Sherlock Pollock. So, thank you, Vance. And uh, my mom and dad and sister, Jessica, thank you. And it's just uh, amazing to <laughs> to have, you know, this new layer peeled back so we can, we can see what actually happened there in 1966. So my dad has always believed that he saw a murder-suicide, but it wasn't actually a suicide because the guy lived, and not only lived, but lived right there alongside his own parents in the same nursing home. Isn't that something? Wow. So, had to share that with you. You can see why. Had to share that with you. Now, here's the next story that I want to tell you about. Now, this was sent to me by Mobius. Now, of course, Mobius, uh, he is the, the chief for the Joshua P. Warren Daily podcast facebook page and so if you're on facebook then you can you know follow that and become a part of it and you'll get all these weird weird stories mobius is always asking me um to just do like a dark 30 segment like i used to do on uh, speaking of strange where i talk about weird news stories and i'd love to do that but the problem is my life is so busy right now I just can't make any promises about anything I'm going to do. I mean, one of the good things about this podcast is it's kind of spontaneous and spur of the moment. I hit the record button and I start talking and, you know, it is what it is. So I, I the idea of trying to plan anything 
uh, doesn't seem to sort of fit into how I do this podcast. But you'll find all kinds of amazing stories that Mobius and all of our great friends and associates who are involved with Joshua P. Warren Daly, who used to be involved with Speaking of Strange, are, are, are producing and putting out there for you. And he sent me this one story that really, it really uh, hit home some points that I've been talking about. I'll read you the headline and I'll try to make some sense of this. The headline is Scientists 3D print. Now, let me pause for a second. Now, surely, you know, you understand 3D printing at this point. It's no different than regular printing, but you just print it layer after layer after layer, so you actually build up a physical structure. Scientists 3D print bio hybrid animal with rat heart. Okay, now think about this. Rat heart cells. They're printing cells. Gold and rubber. So some scientists, and this is legit. I mean, I've looked into this. This is not some kind of bullshit story. Scientists have taken rat heart cells, gold and rubber, and printed them into a creature. And this is a functioning creature. I'm... First off, let me just read the story to you. Scientists genetically engineered and 3D printed a biohybrid using rat heart cells, gold and rubber, opening the door to lifelike robots, artificial intelligence, and cyborgs. Now let me pause for a second and say, hmm, we've always wondered why the people valued gold. And is it possible that the aliens, the ancient aliens who came here, sort of uh, turned us into gold mining slaves. Why has gold always been so valuable? Well, it's a great conductor. It, uh, you know, it resists corrosion. It uh, resists cosmic radiation that could be damaging, etc. So here we have gold inserted in here. So okay, rat cells, gold. And rubber, opening the door to lifelike robots, artificial intelligence, and cyborgs. The biohybrid could be mistaken for a baby ray. Now, what they mean by that is like a stingray. You know what a stingray looks like. It's got the big flapping wings. I'm looking at a video of this thing right now. The tiny flexible swimmer is the product of a team of diverse scientists. They built the most successful artificial animal yet. Jeez, did you hear that? I just said artificial animal. I'm looking at the video of this thing. It looks like a little tiny, it, it looks exactly like a little tiny stingray. And I can see, it's, it's, it's like a hybrid of a circuit. It kind of looks like a microchip. And then they've got, of course, the, the, the biological cells, and then I'm sure the rubber is what ties it all together. I mean, I don't know. Uh, it goes on to say, uh, Kevin Parker, Kit Kevin Parker, PhD, a Harvard professor researching how to build a human heart, saw his daughter entranced by watching stingrays. He wondered if he could engineer a muscle that could move in the same fashion. 
The quest for a material led to creating an artificial ray with a 3D printed rubber body at the School of Engineering and Applied Sciences at Harvard. Scientists uh, from the University of Illinois, uh, Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, uh, the University of Michigan and Stanford University's medical center joined the team. They reinforced the soft rubber body with a 3D printed gold skeleton, so thin that it functions like cartilage. Geneticists adapted rat heart cells so they could respond to light by contracting. They were then grown in a carefully arranged pattern on the rubber and around the gold skeleton. Uh, okay, so there's a video of this thing, and I'm telling you, it just looks like a little baby stingray. Uh, they say the new engineered animal responds to light so well, scientists were able to guide it through an obstacle cor- course uh, 16 times its length using strong and weak light pulses. So they're using light to guide this thing around. Now you ask yourself, what the heck are they doing this for? And they're saying, well, this could lead to creating an artificial heart and various organs, maybe even brain tissues that are a hybrid of these technologies. (sighs) Okay. Now, this is amazing, by the way. And, but it's not... It's not surprising because when I released my video report some years ago about OUFOs in Puerto Rico, which I I coined the term OUFO to mean organic UFOs, this is what I was talking about. I was talking about the fact that some of these UFOs that we see are a combination of what we would usually consider uh, organic and inanimate material synthesized. So that's why these UFOs in many cases look so bizarre and are able to do such foreign things to us. They have certain attributes that are very mechanical and technical and electronic and that's why they are able to zip around like some machine but they also are conscious sensitive meaning that there is a biological component here and i still am not sure to this day if ufo organic ufo is the best term to use but this is what i'm talking about if you go to joshuapwarren.com you click the section there on the menu that says gallery of the strange and you watch the video report that i put together about the OUFOs in puerto rico you will see what i mean how this is no different that we're, we're talking about the idea that these super advanced technologies transcend and surpass our current concept of the difference between the inanimate material like your car versus you or your dog or your cat or your fish or an ape or whatever okay it it goes beyond that it's about combining these two together to create an ultimate form so that's why 
yeah, you can look at these things and you're confused because you've never seen technology like this. Now, if you saw something like this in the 1800s and all you've been exposed to is, say, a locomotive, well, then you're going to try to put it in terms of a locomotive or something like that. But we now have reached a point where we have achieved this. This is done. I mean, I'm going to post this story for you. It's already posted on Facebook, but I'll, I'll repost it for you on my uh, Facebook page. I'll post it on Twitter, at uh, Joshua P. Warren, at Joshua P. Warren. You should be a follower if you're not. Uh, and you can see for yourself what I'm talking about. This, I believe, is the explanation for a large, large, large percentage of these strange things that we see flying around in the sky that don't neatly fit into the category of a flying saucer or some type of a big creature it's a it's a synthesis of both and uh, this is clearly the most advanced thing that we are able to comprehend and perceive and i believe that's what many of these craft are and that's why you get so many different opinions and so many different perspectives and experiences with these it you know if people see them and and one person will say i saw it looking like a machine and another person will say i saw it looking like a living creature it's because it's both so here you go i mean there it is we've done it it's possible can you imagine what we're going to be able to do as humans in a hundred years not to mention a thousand years i mean that's why i say it's possible some of these things that we see flying around here may be earth-based things from our own future that are coming back through some time travel mechanism to the past so you've got to see this it's mind-boggling but it shows you this is this, this is the best example i can give you of what i've been talking about so look i've got a very busy day i have a really busy weekend but you have something to look forward to on monday i'll try to leave another podcast for you over the weekend but if i if i if, if something happens and i'm not able to on monday guess what i'm going to be finally releasing my new documentary it's short It's only 16 minutes long, but that's good because I'm sure you're busy as well. And you'd be surprised what you can fit into 16 minutes if you know what you're doing. It's the documentary about the psionics, radionics, wishing machine gathering that we had in Milwaukee in December of last year. And I am going to be releasing this freely on the Internet along with the press release i believe you're really going to enjoy it you'll find it very insightful if you want to be one of the very first people notified of this so you can go and watch it and again it doesn't cost you a penny i'm going to put it on youtube and vimeo and so all you all you have to do is hit the play button but if you want to be notified as soon as this thing is ready you have to go to joshuapwarren.com and sign up for my free e-newsletter it's it's not only free but it's spam free and i write it with my own fingers it's just like you're getting an email from me i sit down and i write an email but it just happens to go out to thousands of people all over the world so go to joshuapwarren.com sign up for the free e-newsletter so you can be notified when this documentary is ready to hit and it's going to be if all goes well this monday march 11th 2000 
19. And you, I believe, will really enjoy this film. I worked hard to uh, put together a good presentation for you, so I know you'll you'll like it. So, also, when you're at joshuapwarren.com, you'll find a link to this podcast. It's called Joshua P. Warren Daily. It's always short, always free, independent, uncensored, and if you click the link to this podcast, you'll find that you can subscribe through various means, or again, just follow me on Twitter, at Joshua P. Warren, at Joshua P. Warren, and I will tweet when a new one is available. So, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon.